be in John's Gospel, chapter 20, and we'll pick it up at uh, verse 19 and read through to the end of the chapter. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send are you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Whomsoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach here thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach here thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for the record here given of the Lord Jesus meeting with the disciples, and also with Thomas, and also uh, casting out the doubt that was in Thomas's mind and heart concerning the risen Christ, and that revealing to them as they believed on truly upon the Lord Jesus Christ, so was their faith truly grounded and settled in that one who was able to give eternal life. And so it is also in our own lives, Lord, when we place our faith in Christ, we know that we truly do have life eternal through his name. Because of these things herein written, and of the revelation of Jesus Christ by the Father in heaven. And so we give thanks and praise to you, Father, for all these wonderful truths, and ask your blessing upon our time together in the word of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we have come to um, the closing end of chapter 20, we see some more events taking place, and these, of course, are significant when we stop and think about the confidence that we have in Christ 
For as uh, the message indicates today, seeing isn't believing, but believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. For the Christian, our true faith is known because of uh, having faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So as we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize Christ gives us the spiritual belief, the faith, if you will. He also gives us that which we are able to see by faith. As faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we realize that uh, this was a critical moment for the disciples that Jesus would reveal himself to them, and uh, that uh, Thomas also uh, would come to this realization, and uh, that none of them would be lost. None of them would be lost. Um, As we refer back to chapter 17, we find that the words of Jesus uh, ring to us concerning this matter, that none of them would be lost. In chapter 17 and verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now I think that's a significant truth for us to remember. That none of them should be lost, save the son of perdition. Well, Judas never did believe upon the Lord. He never did. He, he was in the group. Jesus allowed him to be there. He knew, Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart. But he was not one of the true disciples of Christ. There are many ramifications, of course, to this concept. There can be people among among our assemblies uh, who play the part but yet do not know the Lord Jesus because they have not yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is, uh, all of those that should be saved that the Father had given unto Jesus would be saved. And uh, of course we must remember that if we could be lost, we would be lost. But because we have been given to Jesus by the Father, those who have believed, those who are his true disciples, cannot be lost. Just as Jesus said here, all that the Father hath given me, I shall lose nothing. Well, then it is a very important thing then that we recognize Thomas was not somehow deficient in true saving faith. At least that the Father had given Thomas as much to Jesus as being one of the disciples as any of the rest, including Peter. Now certainly, um, I don't view Thomas's um, problem with doubting here any worse than Peter. Uh, certainly, Somebody who denies the Lord three times before he wakes up and says, yes, I do, believe him and confess him, is not any better than one who is a skeptic, somewhat of a skeptic and a doubting person. 
Well, I think it is wonderful in the scripture that the Lord brings enough characters to the, to the table for us so we can see ourselves in them. And each time we do, we find a little part of ourselves, perhaps, in these people. Uh, David, who was so close to the Lord and a man after God's own heart, was not above temptation. And Samson, who was so much uh, devoted from his childhood to be a Nazarite and to be truly um, a prophet of God, was not above a little temptation. And also we find in the New Testament many characters, including the ones that we've already mentioned, Peter and Thomas. But you could probably pick up some more along the way if you wanted to. And we find that Jesus then has an opportunity to teach the disciples and to present himself to them. And if we look at the text carefully, we will see that Jesus showed his hands and side to the rest of the disciples as well. It's just that Thomas is a little bit of a belated disciple who comes into the second arena of meeting with Jesus. And uh, in his own way, he's kind of bragging about his doubting. As he says, I will not believe unless I see and put my finger on the nail prints and thrust my hand into this, his side. Um, sometimes Christians are like that, aren't they? They're very boastful about things. What they, what they do believe, what they don't believe, or what they will accept, or what they don't accept. But Thomas was humbled then. Every time we try something like that with the Lord, we're humble too. So here we have this case. Uh, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples and equips them as apostles, verses 19 to 23. And many people see this kind of as a problem passage here. The disciples being able to forgive sins and be able to retain sins. And what does that mean? And, and does that mean that a priest can only do it? And so on and so forth. Um, well, I don't think we're going to find that consistently held up in the scriptures. Um, also, Thomas would not believe lest he see. Well, there are a great many people who want proofs, are there not? Many people will say, well, show me in the Bible. And then, well, why doesn't Jesus do the miracles today? I mean, if Jesus would only do a miracle, maybe then I would believe. You know, there's all kinds of people with all kinds of arguments like that. Um, yeah, as we have already noted, Thomas was one of the true disciples of Christ. It's just that uh, he needed a little bit further conviction. Thirdly, Thomas needs proof to believe in the risen Lord. He needs proof. And many people who come to the scriptures question various facts about this or that, and even of the resurrection, and want to know more about just how this resurrection of Christ proves his deity. And uh, those things are, are valid for people to ask. After all, it is part of the scripture to answer them. And uh, just as we have uh, learned in the scriptures, we should be ready to give an answer to those who ask. 
uh, the reason we have faith in Christ, and it gives us an opportunity to speak. So you shouldn't be unsettled just because somebody has an opposing view. It's part of your apologetics, it's part of your defense of the scriptures to be able to come up with an answer. I mean, the fact that they, whether they believe or not, really depends upon the Lord's conviction upon their hearts. It doesn't depend upon how good of an arguer you are. It's just that you need to give some scriptural basis for the truth and uh, allow the Lord to work. And then, this is what Thomas needed. He needed some scriptural basis. He needed some proof. And Jesus was willing to give it to him. And then fourthly, Jesus said, More blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And of course, this would ultimately be the case, wouldn't it? Um, when it? When it comes to the day of Pentecost, and the preaching of the gospel, and subsequently the works of the, in the book of Acts, and in the epistles, and throughout the first century church, there would be many who would believe, but would not see the Lord. They would believe by faith that Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God, and that he did die for their sins, that he was buried, and that he did rise on the third day. And it was all because of the witness of the disciples at first, at the apostles of Christ, and of those other believers who would come to faith in Christ. And it is interesting that the word witness is the word Matthias, which we get the word martyr from. So a witness is a martyr, in, in the sense of being bold enough to give the statements of their faith. Because in the first century, it meant to give your witness for Christ may ultimately lead to martyrdom, as many did suffer. And in any particular society or any country or any culture where the preaching of the gospel is somehow prohibited um, upon pain of death, to witness for Christ does actually mean that. Whether it be in North Korea to come out and say you are a Christian will probably get you thrown into a concentration camp and then they ultimately maybe die. Or if you happen to be in China in the underground church and you're preaching and they've uh, put a particular kind of prohibition on preaching uh, except for the three self church which is the state organized and regulated church with their own particular version of the Bible and their own particular preachers of the Bible. Uh, you could be hunted down and you could be thrown into prison or worse. So there are countries like that even today. In India, if you decided to go out and preach, preach openly the word of God in a Hindu village, where there were elders in the Hindu village who wanted to persecute you, they would just go ahead and persecute you, and then the police are apt to just stand by idly and do nothing. And so there are cultures and countries today where this also is very well documented. The idea of being a witness, a martyr for Christ. So let's look at this passage a little bit more closely here and and see what we come up with. 
Uh, first of all, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. And uh, we see um, in verse 19, Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week. Notice verse 26, And after eight days, again, his disciples were inside, and Thomas was there. Um, and every time we see one of these meetings, there is some reference here to the first day of the week. In chapter 20, verse 1, the first day of the week, cometh Mary Magdalene early in the morning. Uh, so we find these various references to eight days, or the first day of the week, and Jesus uh, is appearing to them uh, after his resurrection. Um, and so what, what is it that we are meeting today on the eighth day, the first day of the week, <laughs> that we meet together? And traditionally, the church has done this right along. And we call this, of course, the Lord's Day because uh, we find that it, um, it does exemplify our coming together in the name of the Lord because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so these things that are important, you know, sometimes somebody may ask you and say, well, why do you meet on Sunday? You know, you, you have a scriptural basis. You can, you can go back and you can say, oh, they met here, they met here, they met here. Notice it was always on the first day of the week. Notice Jesus met with his disciples on the first day of the week. Isn't this wonderful that Christians have followed in the same tradition and we believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and we commemorate it so? This is good. You know, this is good stuff. This is easy to remember. And it is very defensible why we do what we do. And so we find that Jesus reveals himself. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now the doors were shut. They were in a room together. And Jesus didn't open the door. He just appeared to them. Remember, he's in his resurrected body. Um, Mary thought he was the gardener when she came to the tomb. She didn't even realize who he was until Jesus turned to her and spoke to her. And then she recognized, oh, this is the master. This is Jesus. You see, we don't need to have a graphical portrait of Christ to believe in him, do we? No, he reveals himself to us. And it is great that we see here in Scripture Jesus revealed himself to his disciples on these occasions because it was important for him to initiate that first meeting after, they, after his resurrection that he may give them the courage and, and conviction of faith to go on and do the kind of work that he had called them to do. And, uh, and so they were there. They, they were fearing for their lives. Of course, previously, they were kind of um, not so much fearing for their lives as they were afraid that Jesus might be captured. And now we find that after the, resurre the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection, now they, they, they're afraid. They think the Jews are going to come and capture them. And um, we find Jesus coming to them on this first day of the week. They're in this room together. And uh, he saith unto them, Peace be unto you. 
Now, that is probably a common greeting. It's shalom, common greeting to them. But now it held a much more deeper meaning. Peace I leave with you, peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so we find Jesus gives them a sense of true peace, knowing that he is, he is the resurrected Christ. He is every bit what he said he was. You know, that's important, isn't it, when we stop and think about our Christian faith. It's important that we realize that Jesus is every bit what he said he was. The revelation that God has given to us is an authoritative uh, res- uh, re- revelation. It's authoritative. And so uh, it isn't your problem other people don't believe it. No, but it is your problem if you don't believe it. Because you're, you're a believer, you're a Christian, you, you name the name of Christ. You believe in this one, so you want to make sure that you know what you believe. You see, sometimes people go around and say, oh, I believe this, or I believe that, and they don't really know what they believe. They just hear somebody say something. Well, you want to know what you believe. You want to know that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. Because he is the one who came. He is the incarnate son of God. He came and was born in the womb of Mary by divine conception, not of man, but of the Holy Spirit of God, that he was announced by angels that he was going to be born, that he came into the world as the true son of God, that he lived his life, died on the cross, buried and was rose again from the dead, You ought to know what Jesus is, who he is, and the true conviction of faith about him. You see, those are important things. There are some basic things you can know. You don't have to be a, a theology professor in a college to state what you believe. You don't have to do that. No, you just have to be a Christian who is truly wanting to know how to articulate the best that you can from the scripture what you need to believe. And you can do that. That's simple enough to do. And don't let anybody try to tell you you can't. Because the Bible is clear enough for us to do that. You see? It is. So he said, Peace be unto you. So here is Jesus in their midst. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. He said, Here I am. Here's my hands. Here's my side. I am, I am Jesus. Now remember, he's in the resurrected form, so he doesn't look exactly like he did before. Then were the disciples glad, and when they saw the Lord, they said, they, then said Jesus to them, again, peace be unto you. And this time he says, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Even so send I you. Now here is where we recognize that Jesus begins to equip the disciples. Remember the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every individual, every creature. Teaching them, baptizing them, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This commissioning was that they were to be ready to go and to tell. To be that witness 
to be that Matthias that God wanted them to be. He wanted them to do that. And so he shows them himself. He says, I am the resurrected Christ. He says, I am that one. And uh, he shows them his hands. He shows them his side. Uh, and the disciples were overjoyed, of course, and very glad. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And so this is one of the, one of the briefer passages which is a part of the Great Commission verses. It's one of the briefer passages. You can look up the other in the Gospels and you will see in your Bible probably a reference to each one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John, as generally is, is seen as this one right here. This is, this is the, the briefer. But it's significant because um, he is telling them, I was sent by the Father. Now you are being sent by the Father. You are being sent by the Father. And of course, every believer, every believer is compelled to accept this the same as the disciples. So you, are, you also, you are sent into the world. You are to be living out, living out the commission, the great commission in your life, the best that you know how to do it in the particular situation of life God has placed you, you see. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now this is the passage sometimes people get kind of antsy about. What, is that, what does it mean here? Well, first of all, we know that he was equipping them as apostles. The word apostle, apostolos, means sent. That's what it means, sent. That's pretty simple. To be an apostle is one who is sent. Uh, in its kind of general terminology. And so, as a disciple, is one who is being taught. Uh, now that Jesus has taught these disciples, now he is going to send them out that they might teach others also. You see. And, and so he, he is going to send them. And what does he do? He breathes on them. Now some have questioned, well, uh, this actually didn't happen until the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit descended. Well, remember, the day of Pentecost, that was in a more general fashion, that the Spirit descended upon the people who were there. And uh, that every man heard the, the gospel in their own language. But here, remember, these are his own disciples. Just as the Holy Spirit came upon di different individuals in the Old Testament, we find that Jesus uses this methodology to give them his spirit. I remember the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Though they are triune and though uh, they are different in their very, very much offices, if you will, yet we find Jesus confers upon them the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is no other explanation that can be given to it. Simply stated, they need to have the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to go and to do the apostolic work of preaching Christ, of initiating this great commission into the world, in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the known world that they would be going to. They needed this. And so that's what he gives them. He gives them the Spirit. 
And, and as he breathes on them, as he gives to them his spirit, they receive the spirit and they are ready to go and to do the job. Now what are they to do? Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted. Now remember that Jesus also uh, would have them to go and to preach redemption, preach salvation, preach the, the repentance from sin. Now remember John the Baptist, he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so they were baptized in the river Jordan that they might be prepared to receive the Messiah when he came. And now it is that this message of given to the disciples, the first apostles, they would go and they would preach Christ. They would preach that Jesus Christ had come, that he died for their sins, that he was buried and that he arose again from the dead, and that he is the one who was able to give unto them the kingdom of God in their very hearts. Until the kingdom should come upon the earth, they would receive the kingdom of God in their own heart. By faith, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now remember John chapter 3. To be born again meant to be born from above. And Jesus took the time to explain that to Nicodemus. And you said, thou art a teacher in Israel and you know not these things. You see, this was a truth that was hidden in the Old Testament but revealed in the New as we find that this mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, was something that was to be revealed because Paul himself received it and would communicate it to the church at Colossae and to the other churches that he preached to. And so the idea of, of remitting sins simply meant that he would be preaching Christ, they would be preaching Christ, Wherever they went, those who would confess Christ, their sins would be remitted. Those who would not confess Christ, their sins would not be remitted. They would retain them. They would keep them. It's the same is true today, isn't it? We are all sinners. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We know the scriptures. And even today, wherever the gospel is preached, if people will receive the word of God and confess Jesus Christ as that one who came in the flesh, the true incarnate Christ, that he came to reveal himself and to die for the sins of the world and to be resurrected upon the third day, having victory over sin and death, that he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin because he was the immutable Christ. He is the, the Christ who had no sin. He is the Savior. If they will confess Christ, their sins will be remitted. Even today, this is true. But if they will not, their sins remain. Their sins remain. There is most, no simpler way to explain this passage, nor need it be explained any more difficultly than what I have just said. And, and that's what we need to remember. We don't need to make the Bible more difficult than what it appears to be. That truly confession of Christ is to receive Christ. And it is to know Christ and realize that he came, he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he arose again the third day. And that, and that is the basic core message of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. And so that is what he means here. Whosoever sins ye remit, 
they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So though this information was communicated the first time, and Jesus revealed himself, showing his hands and showing his side, and explaining to them the authority that they now had in, in his name, we find that Thomas was kind of um, lagging behind a bit. You know, and sometimes the believers do that, don't they? they? They say they believe, but they lag behind. And they have doubts and they have questions, and, and you have to kind of coax them along a little bit and try to, try to deal with those issues that they have. And realize that, well, they're not the only ones. There's other people who have these kinds of questions as well. Thomas needed proof to believe in the risen Lord. He, needed, he wanted some more proof. And so, verse 25, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. So really, Thomas is a more pragmatic Christian, in the sense of being practical. Well, he says, if you say this is true, although I wasn't with you when Jesus came, you saw his print, you saw his side, you say he was the Christ, don't you say this is true? Well, I want to see it myself too. You saw it, I want to see it. I'm not going to believe until I see it too. And so he's, he's, he's being very pragmatic here. He's not going to take their word for it. And maybe you know some Christians, some people who say they believe in the Lord, but they don't want to take your word for anything. And maybe it can frustrate you just a little bit because they won't take your word. They want to know more and they want to have a little more proof. And you may get kind of dis disgruntled with them. And perhaps the disciples, you know, they were a little bit disgruntled with Thomas here. Uh, but next we see that, um, again, after eight days, again, the first day of the week, uh, they seem they're meeting together again. Um, that his disciples were inside and Thomas with them. This time Thomas was present. Then came Jesus the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Again, Jesus appears with them in the midst of a room that is closed. The doors weren't open, they were closed. And Jesus just appears to them. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach here thy finger, and behold my hand. And reach here thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Now I find it wonderful that Jesus is of such patient faith that he is willing to take all of this time and say to Thomas, Okay, Thomas, um, I, I appeared to the disciples and I explained this all to them. Well, this is your opportunity. I'll do it all over again just for you. Well, isn't it true that Jesus does do it all over again just for us every time we have a problem? In fact, we find that the Great Commission seems to be that in a nutshell. That Jesus is willing to explain the gospel to people all over again through people like you and I, through pastors, through evangelists, through missionaries, through Bible teachers, through Sunday school teachers, Jesus has commissioned us to go and explain it to people 
all over again and over again and again and again and as many times as we need to. Well, you would think after as many times as the gospel has been told that you would think nobody would need to have the gospel told to them again. You know, except for the fact that people are being born all the time. Of course, new people are coming along, right? But I'll, I'll grant you that probably there's an awful lot of people that heard the gospel message many, 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 many times. Well, it appears that Thomas, though he sat at the very feet of Jesus, though he was with Jesus during many miracles, though he found himself experiencing everything that the other disciples experienced, yet he seems to be the most skeptical of the whole crowd. And we're going to run into people like this. We shouldn't get too frustrated with them, but we should try to give them the message again, just like Jesus does. Thomas, if you need more proof, I'm going to give it to you once again. And I'm going to underscore for you, even as the Father has given you to me, I will lose none. You know, here, this is, the, this is the, the grace of God, isn't it? God's grace is like this. God's grace is so good to us. The goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. That's what the scripture says. The goodness of God. God is so good that he is willing, he is willing to continue to tell his message to us over and over again. He, is continue, he will continue to give proofs to us from the Holy Scriptures. And we find Jesus going to Thomas and here is my hands, here is my side. And immediately, as soon as Thomas uh, realizes what the Lord has done for him, he says, my Lord and my God. It's kind of like, oh Lord, why didn't I know this? Why wouldn't I accept this? You know, it finally, like a bolt of lightning, it struck him. And he believed. He believed. And that, that's a good thing, of course. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes a bolt of lightning to strike some people down. I think it was Luther that said that was, I think Luther was on, a, on his road as a monk and he was struggling and in the middle of a thunderstorm and I think there was a few lightning bolts that kind of drove him to the ground and um, he had a kind of, he had a lot of lightning bolt experiences, oh, old Martin Luther there, before the Reformation came into play. He had a few lightning bolt experiences. And it sounds like uh, Paul had a lightning bolt experience on the road to Damascus. Uh, there was a, quite a few of those lightning bolt experiences. Uh, some people just seem to come to faith more easily than others, and others are dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. <laughs> and, and so here is Thomas. He, he's like that, you know. He, he, he's dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. And he, and he says the right thing. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. He acknowledged Christ. He confessed the Lord. He confessed him. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. 
yet have believed. And so we find the more blessed man, the happy, the happiest of all, are those who come by faith and require nothing more than the wonderful, convicting Spirit of God upon their hearts to reveal to them that they need a Savior and that their sins must be confessed to the one who came and died for their sins and rose again the third day. And they believe. And they believe. How wonderful it is when we believe the simplicity of the gospel of Christ and come to faith. How blessed that is. And that's what Jesus says here. And then John kind of places this uh, little addendum here at the end. He says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. We kind of have to wonder what they are. They're not even recorded. (laughs) But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Well, God, in other words, God has given us ample evidence in the word of God. Jesus did many other miracles. But remember, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. And so these, this revelation that God has given to us is adequate. So if somebody comes to you and says... I want to see some nail prints. I want to see some spear uh, lashes upon the side of Jesus before I believe. You might just want to tell them, well, the Bible is full of wonderful evidences already. It is the revelation of God to man that otherwise man would not know unless God give it. God has given his message. And you need to read the word of God concerning your need of salvation that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that he has given grace, that grace alone saves. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. These are wonderful evidences that have already been given. And the evidences of the gospel itself in Christ have been given in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And it lays the foundation for the later revelations to the churches after the day of Pentecost when the the disciples, the apostles, those who were sent out, those who were equipped to do the work, would go and preach Jesus and people would be saved throughout the first century and into the 21st century, we might add. How wonderful, how wonderful when we realize that believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. And so faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Pray you will encourage us to go and to give the witness of Christ to others.
Help us to do that whenever possible. And that even though we encounter those who are somewhat skeptical or doubting, that we may be as much graceful as even our Lord was to show himself unto Thomas and to show him that he was truly the risen Christ. Lord, we thank you that through the scriptures we can tell others that Jesus is the true Savior, that the word of God is made plain and clear to that end, that if they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.